Welcome again to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. A variety of news articles, mostly discussions regarding politics, White House, Congress, Senate, you name it. Uh, if you recall, I am the author of my book, a memoir titled Embracing the Abyss, a true story of unknowingly becoming part of a fraud scandal, receiving a presidential pardon, and being surprised by a spiritual awakening. I have today some information and a lot of, a lot of information here flashing across your news channels. Um, the first item I have is, is an article uh, that says uh, Democrats are trying to do undo the best part of Trump's legacy. Now, this was an effort captured by Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal. And he began uh, 10 days ago, August the 2nd. And of course, as you know, uh, this um, Margot Alago, the search, uh, has also brought up a lot of information, which is beginning on the 10th, just two days ago. So we'll get to some of that. First, I want to get to, to this one. Um, Democratic Party has a more complicated relationship with Donald Trump than it likes to admit. He wants voters to remember the nonstop chaos of his administration. His Twitter rants, how he debased the presidency on January 6th, and won't stop lying about the 2020 election results. Fair enough. But Democrats also need voters to forget the success of the pre-pandemic economy and support efforts to reverse policies that abetted faster growth. The realty, the reality is that when Mr. Trump wasn't embarrassing himself, he was advancing a more or less traditional Republican agenda of lower taxes and lighter regulations. The upshot was an acceleration in economic activity, higher labor force participation rates, and narrowing racial inequality. During Trump's first three years in office, median household incomes grew, inequality diminished, and the poverty rate among black people fell below 20% for the first time in post-World War II records, the journal reported in October 2020. The unemployment rate among black people went under 6% for the first time in records going back to 1972. Minorities weren't the only beneficiaries of this boomlet. Between 2017 and 2019, Wages for the bottom 10% of earners grew at more than double the rate that did during President Obama's second term. That's a feat. This record is also the more impressive because it defied expectations. The growth of gross domestic product during Mr. Obama's final year in office was only about half of what it had been a year earlier which prompted no shortage of doom and gloom 
economic forecast for the Trump presidency. Nevertheless, in 2017, 18, and 19, the unemployment rate came in below what the Federal Reserve had predicted while GDP was higher than anticipated. Democrats are loath to give Mr. Trump's tax and regulatory agenda any credit for these outcomes, but the economy performed in the main just as administration officials and supply-side economic modeling predicted. Lower corporate tax rates were intended to reverse the downward trend in business investment and following their implementation, major companies announced wager hikes, bonuses, 401k match increases. In the two-year period after the 2017 tax reform passed, household incomes rose by more than they had in the previous eight years combined. That's something to brag about. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the reason this history is important is because Democrats, via the Inflation Reduction Act unveiled last week, want to raise the taxes that Mr. Trump cut. No matter what it's called, the legislation is another tax and spending bonanza that will do little, if anything, to reduce inflation. But passage could discourage the kind of business investment we saw before COVID. And because corporate levies are borne mainly by employees, higher taxes on businesses can also lead to lower wages and less hiring. The White House seems to be under the impression that Mr. Trump got the boot in 2020 because of his stewardship of the economy and that voters wanted his economic policies reversed. But the economy is one area where Mr. Trump consistently pulled strongest and he was elected in 2016 in large part because of the sluggish growth under Obama as Mr. Obama's Vice President Joe Biden rode shotgun through the slowest economic recovery since World War II, a recovery that finally kicked into gear after tax reforms opposed by most Democrats in Congress took effect. Democrat, Democrats are in a bind. With inflation at a 40-year high, violent crime rates spiraling upward, and a border situation that even has Democratic mayors of sanctuary cities complaining about too many illegal immigrants. The midterm elections could be significantly worse than they were typically are for the party that controls the White House. Not all of Mr. Trump's economic policies are worth preserving. His trade war with China has been a bust. He didn't reverse a U.S. decline in manufacturing as the White House promised. Rather, it helped some manufacturers while hurting others for a net loss overall. Yet, instead of reducing tariffs on Chinese goods, which increases prices for U.S. consumers at a time when people are already feeling pinched, the Biden administration has decided to target tax cuts that can be shown empirically to have benefited in the working class, to the working class. Whether the issue is crime, immigration or the economy, Democrats are putting progressivism ahead of pragmatism and believe that the defeat of Mr. Trump in 2020 gives them license to do so. But Mr. Trump lost his bid for a second term because the country grew 
tired of his behavior, which shouldn't be confused with his economic and political agenda. It might make a midterm shell shocking for the left to figure, finally figure out why Joe Biden was elected. I don't know why he was elected. He made a bunch of promises he didn't keep. I can tell you that. The, uh, this is a prelude, this item, about the uh, Democrats trying to undo the best part of Trump's legacy. Let's have a, another look at the one. Initial Margot logo. The FBI tries presidential meddling again. The Justice Department plays with fire with its Trump and Hunter Biden investigations. Mr. Holman W. Jenkins, Jr., uh, from the Wall Street Journal's this article. Well, that didn't take long. Margot Largo, the FBI tries presidential meddling. Well, that didn't take long. The Merrick Garland Justice Department finally satisfied some of its critics by sending the FBI in search of something, anything to pin on Donald Trump. Though Monday's raid reportedly had more to do with Mr. Trump's possible possession of classified documents from his presidency than with January 6. Mr. Garden plays with fire here given that Americans of both parties have reason to distrust the political meddling of the FBI, asked Hillary Clinton. He plays with fire given what we certainly recently about the agency he just sent to ransack Mr. Trump's Margot Alago Palace. According to an investigation by replicant Republicans since Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, the FBI deliberately promoted the fiction that the Hunter Biden laptop was foreign disinformation to help Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Though the agency had been in possession of the laptop for nearly a year and knew it would be legit. <clears throat> Mr. Garden had better have a strong case against Mr. Trump and not just be trying to appease progressives because the laptop evidence in this possession puts him in a position of making decisions also about the Biden family that are no less politically loaded. In fact, the laptop evidence ought to have presidential historians everywhere rethinking their potted story about 2016. Is Hunter Biden the real reason Barack Obama preferred Hillary Clinton over his loyal vice president for the Democratic nomination? Question mark. Mr. Obama wasn't blind. He saw what the laptop was only belatedly by the rest of us see. No sooner had he put Joe Biden in charge of the sensitive Ukraine portfolio after Russia's first invasion in 2014. Hunter cashed in by tacking lucrative sinecure on the board of controversial Ukraine gas company. This was such a galumphing, brazen move, one that Joe Biden refused to do anything about when approached by his staff that it smells more like a culmination than an aberration. In full or in part, observable to Mr. 
Obama's staff would have been Joe's letting Hunter travel on Air Force Two to promote his Chinese ventures. His letting Hunter use the vice president's official residence to court the Mexican billionaires, Carlos Slim and Miguel Aleman Velasco, or about 15 meetings reported by the Daily Mail between the vice president and, and various of Hunter's business partners, or the 27 visits to the White House of Erwin Sherwin, a Hunter partner who reportedly helped manage Joe's taxes and expenses. After leaving the vice presidency, Mr. Biden directly participated in discussions of his son's Chinese dealings, according to Hunter partner Tony Bobulinski. A memo reportedly by Hunter himself refers to a possible 10% stake for the big guy. While steadfastly de denying that Mr. Biden involved himself in his son's business, White House spokespersons have largely declined to answer the deluge of laptop-related allegations. In 2019 text, Hunter is seen griffing to his daughter about being expected to give half his salary to Pop. Emails and texts seem to show Hunter's involvement with his father's mortgage dealings, tax refunds, phone bills, and home improvement expenses. As early as the second year of the Obama-Biden presidency, we see Mr. Sherwin seeking to discuss with the vice president his future earnings potential. A question, how much evidence does a disinterested citizen need, or did Obama need it, to begin to suspect that Mr. Biden routinely and deliberately let his trappings to his son's influence peddling business and expected to share in the proceeds? Question mark. Or that despite Hunter's addiction troubles and personal recklessness, his father expected him to generate family revenue so Joe and appointed son Bo could focus on seeking elective office. Kudos to the New York Post, Daily Mail, and Washington Examiner. But the big reporting staffs left in America still belong to our mainstream news organizations. It's hard to believe that they aren't digging to. Even if that lack of courage of their reportorial convictions, it's time in the country's interest for one of these outlets to put its honest imprimatur on the Biden corruption question one way or another. Mr. Garden with his garland with his Trump raid may only be making a big down payment on the FBI and Justice Department. For the third election in a row, becoming a decisive meddler in our presidential politics. After James Comey and the Ch Justice Department Inspector General's revelations, is Mr. Garland really sure he wants to trust the FBI in matters like the Trump and Hunter Biden inquiries? Question mark. Hints of our official favoritism or worse in the administration of justice might only needlessly complicate what appears to be a clear and straightforward predilection of voters for new start in the top of both tickets. Has the Justice Department learned nothing from 2016 when the FBI's competent, incompetent, and attic meddling likely caused Hillary Clinton's loss? 
to let itself be seen trolling Siloviki style once more in our presidential politics, even the most forgiving Americans is likely no longer to detect a Trump era aberration, but a pattern. Don't put it past Mr. Garland's inherited crew of bumblers to end up electing Mr. Trump a second time. <clears throat> that was a very good article. I should read this one again for my own purposes. Now that you've heard it, my audience, that was a good article. Mm, okay. Uh, next one is from the Wall Street Journal editorial board. The FBI's dangerous search at Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Merrick Garland is taking the U.S. down a perilous path. Monday's unannounced Federal Bureau of Investigation search of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home isn't a moment for anyone to cheer. The Justice Department is unleashing political furies it can't control and may not understand, and the risks for the department and the country are as great as they are for Mr. Trump. As everyone knows by now, an FBI law, and FBI law enforcement action of this kind against a former American president is unprecedented. Monday's search needed a judicial warrant in service of probable cause in a criminal probe. Justice Department has provided a few details beyond what has been leaked to reporters, so it is hard to judge what the FBI was looking for. The media leaks say the search is related to potential mishandling of classified documents or violations of the Presidential Records Act. If that is true, then the raid takes like prosecutorial overkill and a bad mistake. Document disputes are typically settled in negotiation, and that is how Mr. Trump's disagreement with the National Archives had been proceeding. Mr. Trump has already returned 15 boxes of documents, but the National Archives wants to know if the former president retained classified material he shouldn't have. This is what appears to have triggered the FBI search, but it's far from clear why this couldn't be settled cooperatively or at most with a subpoena. Didn't someone at Justice point out that a search in this case would draw comparisons to Hillary Clinton's mishandling of classified information before her 2016 presidential campaign? She was never prosecuted, and Mr. Trump was quick to point out. Unless Mr. Trump's offense involves a serious risk to national security, half of America may see the Trump search as an example of an unequal justice. Wetting up my whistle a little bit. Thank you. This may not be the full story. FBI. Multiple media reports suggest that justice has opened a grand jury probe into the events of January 6, 2021, and Mr. Trump may be a target of that investigation. The House committee investigating January 6 and being cheering for a prosecution, and the political and media pressure is intense on Attorney General Merrick Garland to indict Mr. Trump. 
the FBI search may be a fishing expedition to find evidence related to January the 6th. That will be determined in the future. On the public evidence so far, a January 6th indictment would be a legal stretch. Political responsibility isn't the same as criminal liability. In our view, the evidence would have to show that Mr. Trump was criminally complicit in that day's violence at the Capitol. Given its inherently political nature, the burden of proof is especially high for indicting a former president, all the more so for an administration of the opposing party. The evidence had better be overwhelming, not merely enough to convince a 12-person jury in the District of Columbia, but enough to convince a majority of the uh, American public. Then there is the fought, fraught history between Mr. Trump and the FBI and the justice. The Russia collusion probe was a fiasco of FBI abuse of process and public deception. Current FBI Director Christopher Wray was Mr. Trump's choice to succeed the disastrous James Comey, but the Bureau still has a serious credibility problem. That the Margot Mar-a-Lago raid occurred only about 90 days from a national election also increases the political suspicion. Democrats want to keep Mr. Trump front and center in the midterm campaign, which is why the January 6th committee is continuing into the autumn. Anyone who thinks an indictment and trial of Mr. Trump would go smoothly is in for a rude surprise. Millions of his supporters will see this as vindication of his charges against the deep state. And who knows how they will respond? Has Mr. Garland considered all of this? Question mark. Worse in the long term is the precedent being set and the payback it is likely to inspire. Once a Rubicon of prosecuting a former president has been crossed, especially if the alleged offense and evidence are less than compelling, every future president will be a target. William Barr, Mr. Trump's second AG, Attorney General, wisely resisted pressure to indict political actors without a very strong case. The next Republican AG will not be as scrupulous. Democrats may also be wrong in their calculation about how a prosecution would affect Mr. Trump's future. The FBI's search alone makes it more likely that Mr. Trump will run again for president. If only to vindicate himself, he will run as a martyr, and even Republicans who want to turn the page on the former president may be repelled by what they see as a political prosecution. All of this risks compounding the baleful pattern of the last six years. Mr. Trump is accused of violating political norms, sometimes fairly, sometimes not, and the left violates norms in response. Polarization increases in public faith in institutions and the peaceful settlement of political difference erodes further. The FBI search on Mr. Trump suggests that Mr. Garland may be committed to pursuing and indicting Mr. Trump. If so, he is taking the country on a perilous road. There is much ruin in a nation, but no one should want to test the limits of that ruin in 
America. Mm. Another article, outstanding. The FBI's dangerous search at Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Well, boys and girls, we're on the on the road to the last one, and the shortest shortest one there is. It's entitled. It's an opinion commentary. It's entitled "Whistles Start to Blow at the FBI." The Mar-a-Lago search may Monday a dark day for the Bureau, but lawmakers are shining a hopeful light. From Thomas J. Baker. Monday was a sad day for our democracy and a dark day for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The search of Donald Trump's Florida residence was a politically sensitive operation that would have tested the FBI's reputation for fairness and partiality in the best of circumstances. But the Bureau's behavior since Mr. Trump came into the political scene has already left its reputation in tatters. There is a small bright spot. Whistleblowers are coming forth from within the FBI. Last month, the public learned of two such cases via letters from lawmakers on July 25th. Senator Chuck Grassley wrote to Attorney General Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray that he had received credible, credible whistleblower reports attesting to FBI manipulation of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Representative Sim Jordan, Jordan wrote to Mr. Ray two days later that whistleblowers, whistleblowers had approached him about FBI efforts at artificially padding domestic terrorism data. The alleged conduct is dispiriting, but we can take heart that whistleblowers are coming forward. No one did so during crossfire hurricane the FBI's probe into the Trump campaign, reported ties to Russia, and insiders told me this silence resulted in part from the nature of the investigation. It was a hard quarters and special in which only a handful of people had the full picture. Staff simply assumed that the headquarters click must have had more. It didn't. Now, FBI insiders are taking their concerns to lawmakers. Mr. Grassley named two high-ranking men, an agent and an intelligent analyst who whistleblowers said had acted to thwart the investigation into Hunter Biden. According to the whistleblowers' allegations, the analyst opened an assessment that was used to improperly discredit negative Hunter Biden information as disinformation, and the agent ordered the matter closed without providing a valid reason. According to Mr. Grassley, the agent had a pattern of active public partisanship in this then public social media content. In May, he reportedly tweeted from his now private account can we give Kentucky to the Russian Federation? An echo of the infamous next text change exchanges between Peter Stork and Lisa Page, the Trump hostile duo working at the FBI during the collision, Russian collision fiasco. Collusion. 
Mr. Grassley also wrote that in August 2020, he and Senator John Ron Johnson received an unsolicited unnecessary briefing from the FBI and they began their own investigation of other businesses, business dealings. Word of the briefing has then leaked to the Washington Post, which presented it to an effort by the FBI to alert Congress that it risked being used by Russia. That too was an echo of 2016 when Central Intelligence Director John Brennan briefed Senate Majority Reader Harry Reid just as Crossfire Hurricane was getting it away. Both briefings were attempts to cast domestic politics as being under Kremlin influence. A deep-seated cultural problem continues at FBI headquarters, even years after the Crossfire Hurricane misdeeds were exposed. Still a ray of hope shines through. Whistleblowers, blowers, who've had enough, are now coming forward. The FBI needs their bravery, and America needs a political, an apolitical FBI. Mr. Baker is a retired FBI agent and a legal attache and the author of The Fall of the FBI, How a Once a Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy, forthcoming in December. There's another book to read. My library's full, but that sounds like a good one. I was thinking here about all of this and what Trump is thinking and what he's doing. Um, I think we all know the, his reputation regarding uh, the acuity of how he is so outspace you, outplace you. Um, he is uh, a champion when it comes to that. He's like a, a chess man. He knows where all the pieces are going to be. Uh, I don't understand, though, why he guarded a little bit, as he has. Um, he didn't return all the things that he was supposed to that we know. It makes you wonder, what had Trump thought about this? Is this a, maybe something to do with the, the outcome of this, that he can say, see what I mean? I didn't do anything bad. We believe that he left behind something or gave importance for designation of the documents to support his positions and possibly make embarrassment from FBI and Justice Department. Uh, that's been outstanding literature here. Uh, we're talking about creating a searching for integrity news. Possibly we'll get to that soon. Uh, I want to thank everybody, my audience, my listeners, for tuning in. And thank you very much for listening to me in these happy, happy times. So long and happy trails to all. John Smith, signing off. Adios. Music